If you do not have a Bible, hopefully there should be one underneath the chair in front of you or beside you. We refer to those as our pew Bibles. If you came in this morning without owning a Bible, please see that as our gift to you. Take it home with you. Hebrews chapter 13, as we continue in our sermon series through this glorious letter, we now come to the last chapter, believe it or not. Before we read the passage this morning, the song that we were just able to sing together, so timely, so appropriate, to be reminded of who we are and what we hope for. As I was thinking about where we're going in Hebrews chapter 13, the way that Hebrews chapter 12 comes to an end We, the people of God, are reminded of the unshakable kingdom that is ours in Christ Jesus. In a sense, kind of reorienting, reminding us of who we belong to and what is to come, the realities of this eternal kingdom that is participated in now but fully realized then when Christ returns. We are a people that deal with eternity amnesia. We gather weekly because we are prone to wander. We forget who we are, what is ours in Christ. And when we have this amnesia, we forget, and then we have the grace and blessing of gathering and be reminded, our hearts are stirred. We are built up And we actually then can live the life that we're called to live, which is what we see as we get into the first few verses of chapter 13, a life that's pleasing to God. I was thinking about God's grace even in our church family with the passing of Angela's father just yesterday. In Ecclesiastes, we're told this, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is actually God's blessing and grace upon us when we are taken to places like the death of a loved one, as hard as that is, because in that, the people of God are reminded in the house of mourning what is actually of value, What is actually real and important? That amnesia that I was talking about, we're so quick to just forget. In light of eternity, what God is preparing for those who love him. And so even a death of a loved one, that entering into the house of mourning, that is a good place to be versus where the world thinks pleasure and joy is found in the house of mirth. Like the the light and airy and fun and happy things of this world, that's where our hearts and the flesh gravitate for, towards. We, we think that's where we're going to be really uh, filled and satisfied. And in Ecclesiastes, we're reminded of the reality that it's actually in the house of mourning, that it is good and right for us to, to have our lives reoriented once again, shaken, so to speak, and reminded 
of the reality of those who are in Christ, the great blessing that we experience. What I also want to say with this eternity amnesia, when we forget the hope of glory, all of us, whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ, are hardwired for eternity in our hearts, so to speak. We're told that in Ecclesiastes as well. That means that we desire for this paradise to come, and when we lose sight of that it's to come, we start living like it needs to be now. And so our life starts to become very self-focused, inward-looking. If we think that what we need to experience is the here and now for final and full fulfillment, things are going to start getting messed up. We make a mess out of love for brother, compassion for those in need, honoring the marriage bed, all of these things that we find in our passage, the love of money. When we have this eternal, eternity amnesia, we start looking for the here and now and things get really messed up, kind of turned upside down on itself. If you're longing for all of what's to come now, you're going to be or become anxious, controlling, disappointed, frustrated, demanding of people, and ultimately discouraged and bitter. Paul Tripp refers to this lifestyle caught in like living for the now and losing sight of the future, a life shaped by the unholy self-love trinity. The unholy self-love trinity. My wants, my needs, my feelings. Instead of this Godward life and love towards others, everything starts to turn in on yourself. And so, we need the end of chapter 12 to remind us of who we are and the kingdom that we've been invited into to then lead us into Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. So by way of introduction, now let's look at our passage. Please follow along as I read. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually, sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We want to look at these six verses and first realize that they actually should stay together. You may be reading the first few verses and you're going, that seems a little disjointed from this moving into the topic of the marriage bed and the topic of the love of money, but I want to submit to you that 
this needs to actually stay together because all of these are actually expressions of love. They may express themselves differently, but this kingdom that cannot be shaken is not an individualistic kingdom. We have been actually called to be part of the people of God. Christ the head, we are the body, and that plays itself out in every sphere of our lives. And so the way that we love our brothers, show compassion, honor the marriage bed, care and look and um, oversee our own finances, all of that, the contentment that we, should be, that we should have, all of that actually contributes to loving others. I, I pray that the Lord helps us see this as we work through these verses. To begin with, we see, let brotherly love continue. And A.W. Pink says this about brotherly love. Brotherly love is a tender plant which requires much attention. If it be not watched and watered, it quickly wilts. And I think that is an apt analogy. The watering, the weeding, the pruning, it requires attention. It requires obedience for brotherly love to actually continue. Now, sometimes we read verse 1 and you hear a phrase in Scripture and it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It just seems to be kind of the reality. Yeah, if you're a Christian, you experience and participate in brotherly love. But I want to just slow us down a second because in order to fully grasp even being able to associate ourselves with brotherly love and then called to be a part of doing that towards others, you've got, to, you've got to wrap your mind and heart around this reality that this was not always the case for us. And brotherly love is not a broad stroke statement for all people, all mankind. It is a, it is a, a call, a command, continue this brotherly love for those who have experienced salvation. And in order for us to really walk out what we're looking at in these verses, this has to be an anchor. And for for those of us who have been a part of the church for a while and walking with our Lord and Savior as disciples, I do not want you to check out. When we talk about this reality of how is it even possible for us to be called brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. First, the eternal son had to actually come and become man. And then he actually had to redeem a people for himself. And that experience of being adopted into God's family, that sonship, that's where this reality of our union with Christ by faith creates in us a new identity, a new title. Our position in Christ has forever been altered. We are now declared justified where we were once condemned. And we now are, and and this is really, this is hard for us to, to fathom, but we need to own this because it's been given to us as a gift. We are now brothers and sisters because we are in union with the Son. 
He is delighted to call us brothers and sisters. We are co-heirs with Christ. And that fundamental truth actually radically changes everything that we're going to look at in these verses. To continue in brotherly love, first you have to understand that by grace through faith, you who were once far off are actually now part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When you start to think, okay, I don't know how to, how to do this well. I tend to miserably fall short and I look at these first six verses and there's this command to do all of these things by, by never forgetting the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ, you realize who you are in union with, who you depend upon, who is your rock and salvation, who is your refuge in your time of need, who is the one that, in, that strengthens and in, encourages and empowers by the Holy Spirit for us to actually live these lives that are sacrifices pleasing to God. He is our source and stimulus for our love for others. This is, for some, a key that unlocks not a burdensome life, but a joy-filled life that we actually get to be used by God as instruments in his hands to care for others, to lift others up, to pour into others, knowing that he is the one fueling us to do so. So it's not a, a... overwhelming burden that we just need to pull up our own bootstraps and do the things we ought to do. Rather, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in union with the Son, we now walk in this joy of being able to be interacting and caring for one another. That is what will help us continue in brotherly love. So first, I want us to just kind of work through these. Practicing hospitality is the first one. Do not neglect to show hospitality in verse 2, hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, it's important to remember context. In this time in church history, the church was still very much in the infant stage of growing and spreading And while um, friendliness towards strangers is, in general, the, the point, to really hone in on the particular time and place, no doubt, but in particular, there was, during this time, fellow Christians coming from other places, coming from elsewhere, who were unknown to these Christians and in need. Remember, those who proclaimed Christ as king many times experienced much tribulation, much much persecution, even their wealth being taken from them in need when they come into other areas to do business, to interact. They're in need of help financially, for, for food, for all the different needs that they have. This was a real thing. And so you hear like, for example, in 3 John chapter 5, or 3 John, sorry, verses 5 through 8, listen to this example. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of his name 
accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And I just want you to hear this. True hospitality springs from the limitless fountain of divine love manifested to us while we were still strangers. When we grasp what has been poured out on us, remember the the brothers in Christ would not even be a reality had not Christ come to seek and save the lost, those who were strangers, estranged from him because of sin. And so true hospitality is really the manifestation of us understanding, grasping, not just intellectually, but our hearts consumed by the reality that we have been loved when we didn't deserve it. This is a plea for true unselfishness to help others who are strangers. The second half of the verse is very interesting. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Even just the word unawares is unique in the ESV. But entertaining angels, I'm sure you have thought about this before. Um, I think the author here in Hebrews 13 is referring actually to an account that happens in Genesis 18, going all the way back. Now, we're not very far removed from chapter 11 of Hebrews, which was the kind of hall of faith where the author has reminded the recipients of this letter, us, inspired by the Spirit, those who have lived by faith, and Abraham very much included in this. So this example would not be too far removed. But in Genesis 18 and 19, we have Abraham, the great patriarch of the faith, who is served by three mysterious figures, if you remember. We learn that the three figures are the Lord himself, a theophany, and two angelic beings. And in that story, Abraham, unawares, shows them hospitality. Now, in the very next chapter, in Genesis 19, those two angelic beings head to Sodom, if you remember. And in that situation, they are refused hospitality. And so, in a sense, what I'm, what I'm gathering is we have this contrast, the mark of the people of God and those who are living in unbelief. And one of the marks or one of the distinctions between the two in Genesis 18, albeit very small, the people of God, Abraham plucked out of the pagan life that he lived and called to be God's people. And through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. In that example, living by faith, Abraham showed hospitality. Those in Sodom, obviously not living for the Lord, did not. And so this contrast of what does it look like to be the people of God, it is those who, who show hospitality to strangers. And there's even a motive here given to us in Hebrews chapter 13. Neglect to show hospitality actually robs us of potential blessing. You never know how God might bless you through others. And so, we are called to be generous people, hospitable people. Now, just kind of to bring this home, many of us come to this particular church and realize that there are brothers and sisters in this place who we do not know, who are technically 
unfortunately, strangers to us. And just as in the early church, there, was, there were many opportunities, those who had not much coming into a new place were given or shown hospitality. This is a point of encouragement, of application. We here have many opportunities. If you just want to take a look around, I promise you, you do not know everyone well. There are brothers and sisters whom just sharing a meal in your home, who knows what the Lord may do? We are called to be hospitable. Verse 3, we see, Remember those who are in prison, as those in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Secondly, compassion towards those who are suffering. Again, understanding the context, very different than prison, the prison system that we have here in the Western culture in America, where, where basically all your basic needs are met here if you're put into prison. Very much different in this particular time and place. In Roman jails, it would be up to family, friends, your support system to provide you with your basic needs. And if that did not come, you would experience starvation. There wasn't like, oh, we're feeling really bad with the neglect of this particular prison. We're gonna really, prisoner, we're gonna step in and really help him. No, 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 it just was not even existent. In order for you to survive, to, to have your needs met, those outside who love you needed to come and actually care for you. And so when we see this, remember those who are in prison, this is a call to love and show compassion towards those who are suffering. Now, I want us to continue to, to, to remember back to our union with Christ, what it actually means to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and share a passage that I think links verse 2 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 25, you need, we need to hear these words from the Lord Jesus. Matthew 25, 35 through 39. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Please listen. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. The principle is that because believers are now participating in the new covenant with Christ by grace through faith, they are identified with Christ in union with him. And so when a believer, one of his adopted, God's adopted children's co-heirs with Christ, is persecuted for the sake of his name, this persecution is tantamount to persecution of Jesus himself. So when we are showing compassion to them, we are showing compassion to Christ. This is where the brotherhood starts to really grow legs and, and, and 
and gain some, some traction in our lives and understanding that this isn't just an isolated, okay, I, I really like this Christian over here, so I want to help him because I really care for him. No, it's so much bigger than this. We are part of the unshakable kingdom. We are in union with the Son. We are now brothers and sisters of the God who created the heavens and the earth. We are his children. And it's because of the Son that we now have this new experience. And this new experience actually calls us to live a life that looks radically different than the world. And without spiritual eyes to see those who are hurting around us, who are brothers and sisters, those who are in need of hospitality, when we love them the way we are called to love them, we are actually loving our Savior. We are showing Him how grateful we are for His work in our lives. This, this is a paradigm shift for many of us to, to have the spiritual eyes to see that every visit to one in need Every piece of clothing offered to those who are naked, every warm meal to those who are hungry, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Compassion for those who are suffering is an expression of love for Jesus, which meets the needs of his brothers and sisters. I pray that that would land on us. Many of us are living a very passive, laid back, all about me kind of Christian experience when that is the furthest thing from a life pleasing to God. A sacrificial life that we see here in these six verses that are pleasing, that is pleasing to God. The second part of verse three is also very interesting. Since you also are in the body. It's an interesting phrase. There's motive here as well. Motive for doing this. And the motive may sound strange. Since you also are in the body. What is being conveyed here, I believe, is this reality. You are doing this right now for your brothers and sisters in my name you need to understand that you likely will find yourself in that same spot down the road. If you are faithful in your walk, your road will look very similar. It may not be identical, but this is the joy that as you do these things unto the Lord, you will also in Christ, because of the way that he has ordained it, experience in a local church, the bride of Christ, that same type of compassion. So this motive isn't, I give you something, I scratch your back so that you'll scratch mine in a very fleshly way. But the joy of the kingdom is that you are not alone. And if we are living faithfully, life's pleasing to God, when you find yourself in that same spot, you will have that same reciprocated to you. And when that happens, I can testify the, the eight and a half years that we have experienced this church plant, when we have poured ourselves out for others 
And when we have been in that need and experiencing that love given to us, who do you think is glorified? God is glorified when brothers and sisters are functioning the way that we've been called to function. Now, I wanted to just keep plowing this morning through all six verses, but there is just too much here. And so we're going to do a part two where we look at marriage and we look at the love of money. But in conclusion of this particular sermon, I want to take us back to this eternity amnesia. When we forget what is ours in Christ, the hope of glory, and live like everything needs to be fulfilled now the way that we think eternity will be like, pleasures forevermore and we want that now, I I promise you, what this is calling you to be about, hospitality and compassion towards others, will really be distorted and you will find yourself inward focused. And actually, when you think you're striving towards true satisfaction, the rug's going to be pulled. And a lot of times that's by grace. God disciplines those whom he loves and reveals when we're, when we're walking down a road that actually does not satisfy, shaking us by his grace, reminding us, remember, brothers and sisters, even entering into the house of mourning helps us because it is foolish to just always run to the house of mirth. Our flesh wants that. We want life to be fun and easy and light. In Christ, it is light, but it looks very different. But in Christ, we actually realize this reality. Everything that we're experiencing is light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that he is preparing for those who love him. That, when those truths seep deep into our minds and our hearts, what we view a lot of times as like, man, that is too much of a sacrifice to go and to just pour out into this person's life, to show hospitality when I want it to be about me and watching my shows. I want to kick up my legs. When we have these truths penetrate our lives, our hearts, transform us by the power of the gospel, it no longer looks like the sacrifice that is, that is draining us, but actually a sacrificial living unto the Lord that fills us, that empowers us to live in a manner that is pleasing to him, to experience joy now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, I pray as we look at these verses this morning, we would, by God's grace, actually see the joy and the the honor and the privilege it is to be called into this type of one anothering, this brotherly love, these commands that in Christ, if you really grasp your union with him, the gift of salvation in him, these things that may seem burdensome to you become actually a joy. And by God's grace, we will, in this place, begin to experience the fruit of that as God, in his grace, renews our minds, transforms our hearts more and more into the image of his Son, where we are constantly not leaning towards eternal amnesia or eternity amnesia, but reminded as we gather even today 
our union with him, what it's called, what, it, what it's like to be part of his kingdom, that we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, and watch that take hold of this community of faith and actually see the fruit of him doing a work that only he can do, where there is, there is laying down our lives for one another for his glory and our good that is actually the norm instead of the exception. May that be true of this place. And in that, that aim or that vein, let's go to the Lord and pray for that now. Father, your work in sinners' lives like ours is something that weekly, daily, we need to be reminded of. When we begin to lose sight of who we are in Christ and what is ours in Christ, we get everything distorted. Our relationships, our selfishness, things really start to get out of whack. And we pray, Father, that you would, by your grace, through your word, Apply these truths, these joys, the privileges, apply them to our hearts and our minds. Where we would be so, so overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy, the gift of salvation found in your son, the joy of our salvation, where our lives would actually radically look different. Father, Forgive us when we are, are, are viewed and experienced by those on the outside as, as self-seeking, self-centered people. We, we pray that you would, you would first forgive us, renew us, there would be repentance, and this very day we would again have eyes to see the eternal perspective that really does reorient our life today. Help us live today. Father, all of this for your glory and our good we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.